Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. My name is Kate Toon. I'm the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the recipe for SEO success. And this is my co-host, Belinda Weaver. Yes, I am a copywriter. I'm the founder of Copyright Matters and the Copywriting Masterclass course. Today, we're talking to Ryan Wallman, head of copy at Wellmark, a Melbourne advertising agency that specializes in niche industries and in particular, healthcare and pharmaceutical communications. Ryan has an alter ego, Dr. Draper on Twitter and is a well-known name in copywriting circles. So hello, Ryan, thank you, welcome and how was that intro? Did we miss anything out? Uh, well, firstly, thank you for having me on. Um, I'd probably just add that uh, I originally trained in medicine and so I worked for several years as a doctor, particularly in psychiatry, uh, and I was never deregistered or anything like that, if that's what you're wondering. Um, <laughs> so technically I am still a doctor. Uh, and then after that I decided um, that, you know, six or seven years of study just wasn't enough. So I then did um, a graduate certificate in professional writing and I've since done um, an AFA certificate in copywriting and a Master of Marketing. So a silly amount of study really, but it's, it's all come in pretty handy. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Loaded <laughs> with qualifications. Mm. Mm. So, so tell me what is a head of copy do? Because that's, you know, it sounds like the head of a school. Is that is that what you're like with your team? <laughs> I think I'm pretty gentle, actually. Um, yeah, look, I, I probably should preface my answer here by saying that I, I can really only speak about my own experience and role because I think it's probably quite different from what um, a head of copy role would be like at a bigger agency um, and particularly, you know, an ad agency. Uh, and I'll get onto the distinction um, between our agency and our agency in a bit. Um, but really, my primary responsibility is to oversee all of the copy that we develop, um, and that involves supervision of a team of three and a half writers at the moment. Um, and my day-to-day work is really a mix of concept development and copywriting, uh, with a bit of new new business development in there too. And I'm usually pretty heavily involved in our proposals and pitches and that sort of thing. So I work really closely with our creative director um, on coming up with creative concepts and campaigns uh, and obviously my focus is mostly on the copy um, but, you know, it's the old adage that a good copywriter should be able to think visually as well and certainly that's um, something that I've kind of developed over time and, and try to do as much as possible. And then because of the fact that we're a relatively small team, um, I do have some accounts of my own on which I'm the lead writer um, and given the pretty specialised nature of our business, the writing that I do on those can kind of be anything from um, ad campaigns right through to really technical medical writing. And and I guess finally uh, another fairly big part of my role is um, that I write most of the copy on our own communications for Wellmark. So, you know, our website, <coughs> direct mail, um, social media posts uh, and all that sort of thing. So... In a way, I'm really our tone of voice custodian. Wow, they certainly keep you busy there, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it varies. It kind of waxes and wanes depending, you know, it's the usual usual story when you work for a relatively small agency. So, I'd, you know, it is a bit of a um, jack-of-all-trades role in some ways. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting role because obviously my background is agency as well. And in most of the agencies I've worked at, there has been a creative director and that has either been somebody from a design background or a copy background. But 90% of the time, they seem to be designers um, rather than copywriters. And, and any agency I've worked in, there has never been a head of copy. Um, so I'm really interested that this this role exists. And why didn't it exist when I was back in the yeah. day because it's a you know it's a, it's, a, it's a role that's very much needed because uh I, although i'm not dissing any creative directors you know it's a different discipline being a visual person to a writer and uh sometimes a bit painful having your copy uh rewritten by mm-hmm. <laughs> a someone, design type someone who isn't so wordy yeah look that's a i think that's a really valid point um and the complementary role between our creative director, who is, as you say, a, you know, has a design background, um, and my role, it seems to work really well. And it's the, actually the first time that our agency has really had it. We didn't have a head of copy um, prior to that, and in fact, we did have a creative director who was um, a copywriter initially. So it's sort of um, a bit of a moving feast, but but it seems to work well the way that it's set up at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it sounds ideal, uh, that, that partnership that you've got. I mean, you, so you've already given us a bit of a background, a little bit of a background of how you became a, a copywriter. But So how did you make that move from being a, a doctor and, and make that change into being a full-time writer? Uh, well, it was kind of serendipitous in a way and, and kind of half-planned. Um, I'd been a doctor for several years and I had become a bit disillusioned with medicine for various reasons. Um, and at the same time, I'd always loved writing and I had a bit of a creative bent that I was kind of yearning to indulge. Um, so I did that, that graduate certificate in professional writing while I was still working as a doctor. Uh, and from there, I did a placement at a medical magazine in Perth, um, which is where I'm from before you say anything too disparaging. Um and then basically I started looking into medical writing and at that stage not really even knowing whether such a thing existed. Uh, and I came across an ad for a medical writer at Wellmark um, and that was nine years ago and I'm still there. So uh, while my role has kind of always involved some copywriting, it's really evolved from what was a primary emphasis on technical medical writing um, in the early stages. So, you know, lots of graphs and p-values and all that sort of thing, referencing and so on, to what your listeners would probably think of as being more like copywriting now. Um, And I've been really lucky, I think, to have had the opportunity over time to do more of the creative work that I think I'm really best at. Um, And, you know, I'm very grateful to Wellmark for, for giving me that opportunity. And you mentioned a few writing qualifications um, in the intro. Have you just done those along the way? Uh, yeah. So aside from the, the graduate certificate in professional writing, which I which I did um, while I was still working as a doctor, uh, the other two I've done, done since I've been working as a writer. Um, so the copywriting certificate and the master of marketing, and that was actually. Um, I was supported in doing that by my agency. So yeah, I've been really lucky with you know in that respect. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Um, mm. And so I think Kate, you probably get asked this question quite a lot as well, and it's about you know as a copywriter, shall I specialise in something or should I stay general? Because I know uh, many copywriters, like the three of us on this call, have all done something before we became copywriters. Um, in Kate's case, lots of things, right, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, they um they often say should 
should I do what I, you know, should I write about what I did before or should I stay general? What advice would you give copywriters when they're trying to think about that? Well, I think the first thing is that I, I think it's a really interesting question given um, the kind of the current debate in marketing circles about narrow targeting versus mass marketing and the fact that, you know, when your target is too narrow, you can miss out on that serendipitous custom. Um, but for a service like copywriting, I think probably some degree of specialisation is a good idea and particularly, as you say, Belinda, if you, if you have, you know, a background in something else where you've kind of got that, um, that uh, advantage already. Uh, and in fact, I don't know if you read it, but Rory Sutherland wrote a really good article in The Spectator a couple of months ago on this topic of specialisation and he, and he made the, the um, case for it being advisable on the basis of um, this, this concept of concentration of attention, i.e. that specialising in a niche really focuses your attention um, and improves your skills much faster, which you know, is self-evident, I guess. Um, but he also made the point that potential clients you know, are more likely to think of you as an expert and he used this great analogy um, that when you see a restaurant that advertises um, Thai food and tapas, you don't sort of think to yourself, well, what an excitingly diverse eating experience this is. You know, it's much more likely that you think, well, this is probably a crap restaurant. That's so true. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'd say that specialisation is probably a good idea if you want to avoid being um, commoditized. and obviously that's kind of what we're all seeing um, with these content mills that are paying, you know, $5 a page or whatever it is. Um, but that said, I think if for copywriters who are just starting out and if they don't have an obvious um, uh, stepping off point for a specialisation, then I think it's probably best to keep your options open and, and really get a broad experience to, you know, to work out what suits you best. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think necessarily your, your niche has to be a, particularly in, a particular industry. Um, it can be a particular style of writing. So, you know, you could be, you know, the, focus your niche around email copywriting or be a, a social media copywriter, but across lots of different uh, industries. I don't think necessarily, do you, do you agree or do you think you have to pick an industry? No, yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, it just brings to mind actually... Uh, there's an there's an agency in the UK. I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head, um, but they specialise just in product descriptions. You you, might, you probably know of them. Yeah. Well, we'll find it out. And we'll link yeah. it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, and and I've seen their website. It's great. You know, it, it, it's just so clear um, that that's kind of all they do, and they make it very clear. And you know, their positioning is just just um, crystal clear. Yeah, and I think often that niche evolves. I, you know, when I started out, I was very much a generalist. I mean, I called myself an SEO copywriter, whatever that means. But um, over time, you just tend to find yourself doing more and more of a particular type of work, and that can then become your niche. So you don't necessarily need to know it from day dot, as you said. You can kind of work it out along the way as you build up more experience. Um, now, tell us a little bit more about the kind of clients you work with at Wellmark. Yeah, well, the way that we describe it is that we work with clients and brands who need to communicate complex messages to niche audiences, um, which which always needs a bit of explanation. And in fact, I think the more pithy version is that um, we specialise in making the complex simple, and that's, for want of a, a better word, that's our tagline. Um, but specifically, our clients are, are mostly in healthcare um, and particularly in pharmaceuticals, uh, but we do have some clients in the corporate and B2B areas as well. Um, Wellmark actually started life as a healthcare communications agency um, and while we have diversified a bit since then, it, you know, healthcare is still the main part of our business. 
Um, and then within healthcare, it, it, you know, that's quite a broad area in itself. Um, and because of that, our healthcare clients are quite diverse. Um, but we still do a lot of work on pharmaceutical brands, and they tend to be in specialist therapy areas, such as um, at the moment, you know, we do a lot of work in hematology and rheumatology and those kinds of areas. Um, and the copywriting for those brands is necessarily pretty specialised and, and technically complex. Um, so, you know, as much as there are some commonalities, um, writing for a pharma brand uh, is not the same as writing for a brand of toothpaste. Um, and because of that, all of our writers have either, you know, healthcare or at least life science backgrounds of some kind. And that's, that's kind of the differences I see. And that was actually something I was thinking about. I wondered if, if you wanted to get into this kind of, um, say, complex communication, do you, do you need to be a doctor? Are there kind of qualifications? If, if this was something that someone listening was like, you know, I think that would be extremely interesting, what sort of qualifications would they need to get into medical copywriting? Well, first of all, I probably should just um, note that medical writing is quite a broad term. So it can mean writing for, for commercial brands um, such as pharmaceuticals but it can also mean writing for things like journals and medical magazines and that sort of thing, although technically that's more in the realm of um, medical journalism, but there is crossover in the way these um, these terms are understood and spoken about. But if we're talking about the former, which is what we do, then that would be very difficult to do without at least a science degree and, and preferably a healthcare qualification, um, which is not to say that it would be impossible, um, but it certainly would be difficult. And just to give you an idea, you know, quite a lot of the writers in um, in quite specialised medical communications agencies have PhDs, for example. Um, we actually have two medical doctors and a, and a vet among our writers. Um, and the reason for that is that we really find that having that clinical background um, makes a big difference to our clients because not only do we understand the science behind their brands, but we've also had that first-hand experience of being on the other side of the fence. So we've actually you know, being the audience for the for the communications that we now develop. Um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, it, it's difficult. You certainly don't need a medical qualification, but um, but some kind of uh, scientific background is pretty much a sine qua non, I think. Okay, interesting. So that might, that might cut it off for a lot of copywriters. So let's take a different tack. If we can't all be medical copywriters, what are your tips uh, for a copywriter that wants to break into the world of agencies and work at a copywriting agency and an advertising agency? Well, I'll be honest here and say that I'm probably not the best person to ask about that in that um, I'm a bit peripheral to agency land. Um, you know, we are an agency, of course, um, but because of the fact that we're specialised and we're not part of a, a bigger um, general agency or a network, um, we don't have a hell of a lot of contact with Adland. But that said, um, for your listeners who might want to work in an agency that's something like ours, I guess there are a couple of things I'd suggest um, aside from that comment about the qualifications. Um, the first is that, well, for healthcare agencies, um, attention to detail is really important. So it's, it's the kind of area where um, in comparison to something, you know, if you're working for a general agency, things like hanging comparatives aren't probably aren't a big deal, whereas they are for us um, in an agency like ours. Um, and so essentially you do have to be a bit of a pedant and, and if you're not a details person, it's probably not um, for you. And secondly, it's important to demonstrate that you can kind of make what is often quite dry information compelling to diverse audiences and it's... 
um, that I don't think that's specific to, to healthcare. I think that a lot of B2B agencies, for example, that would be um, the same principle would apply. Um, so then it really depends on, on that mix of kind of quite a technical, having a technical brain and also having um, a creative streak. And I think for an agency like ours, and, and again, I, I wouldn't um, absolutely be specific about that being healthcare, but for technical kind of agencies, I, I think being able to demonstrate that mix is really important and that, you know, we'll always be interested um, in, in people who show that kind of mix and I dare say that, that most other agencies like ours would be as well. How, do, how, does does that that to you, how does that compare to your experience, Kate? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very, very different in terms of, <laughs> I'm not sure attention to detail was high on the list of <laughs> things that they were worried about. I really, I mean, I, oh gosh, that, that's a whole question. I'm not prepared for that question. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, caught you on the fly there. We could, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on, on my experiences of being in an agency. I kind of, um, I can't even remember how I got into agencies. I kind of slipped in through the back door, really. I, I, I was working. Oh, it's a long story. Let's not go into it today. <laughs> I'm focusing on Ryan today, not on me. So um, I'll tell you that another day. But um, yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, there's big ad agencies and then the smaller sort of bespoke sort of boutique style agencies. And they're very different. And the approach is probably very different as well. So, yeah. Sorry, that wasn't that wasn't a very well prepared answer. <laughs> so, but Ryan, because um, you've kind of jumped straight into the uh, Wellmark agency, do you? How do you feel the experience might differ from working, say, as a freelancer? I've never worked for an agency. I've just, um, you know, worked on my own. So, how do you think that might differ? Is that well, something you'd be interested in? Would you interested be interested in a freelance life? <laughs> Uh, there's, there's a lot that would appeal about it, I, that's for sure. Um, I did actually work freelance um, just for about six months before I started at Wellmark um, ah. for a couple of, you know, did some work for a couple of healthcare agencies um, and basically I didn't know what the hell I was doing at that stage so <laughs> I guess I'm not well qualified to make a fair comparison. But based on what I've kind of gleaned from the freelancers that I know, um, and that includes your good sales, of course. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that there are pros and cons for each. And I, I think the obvious pro in an agency um, is that you're not constantly juggling your writing with, with those new business and administrative roles. Um, so I would guess that, you know, we're more likely to know what we're going to be doing from, from one week to the next. Um, and, and, you know, in our agency particularly, we very rarely have to work weekends or nights or, you know, suddenly find that we, we have to finish something on a deadline before Monday, um, although obviously that can be quite different in the big ad, ad agencies, of course. Um, but but I would guess that, that that's sort of a big advantage of working in an agency. Um, and the other big one I would think is that <clears throat> when you work in an agency, you know, you're constantly collaborating with designers and art directors, which is something that we touched on a bit earlier. But you know, I sit literally a metre away from our design studio, so we really work very closely together, you know, all the time. And it's not just a matter of handing over a manuscript and, and you know, the designer lays it out and then you never see it again, which might be um, a massive oversimplica oversimplification of how things work in freelance land. But my point is, I guess, that I suspect the logistical barriers mean that that degree of collaboration is simply not possible for freelancers. Very um, true. And as yeah, 
Yeah, I, I suspected that was, you know, it's, it's a bit more um, back and forth. And yeah, it's a bit more ping-pongy. Yeah. Yeah, although I think it's getting a lot easier with a lot of the, uh, you know, the markup tools that you can use online and, and uh, you know, the ability to Skype and Zoom and talk about things, you know, pretty much virtually. I think it's getting a lot better than it was, but certainly when I started out, it was very much send an email with your ideas, they send one back when they've done, <laughs> they've done one change and then yeah. <laughs> three hours later, you've actually managed to get everything done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's certainly been kind of the philosophy of our agency. Um, that that it really helps having all of us there in the same place, um, and you know a lot of a lot of agencies do use a lot of freelancers, and so they end up kind of being just a hub for for, for a whole lot of freelancers. Whereas we really um, believe that that it does make a difference having us all in the same place. Um, and I guess as for the advantages of freelance life, obviously you guys are much um, better place to talk about that. But my guess is that the autonomy and the flexibility are probably the big draw cards. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. What do you think, Belinda? Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say, oh, it's all just working by the beach for me. I don't know about you, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm having a cocktail right now. I'm lying on the beach. <laughs> this podcast. Uh, no, interesting. So, you know, it sounds like you've had a very, you know, interesting career and lots of lots of changes along the way. Um, you know, huge professional change. But what are your what are some of the biggest challenges you've had as a copywriter? Well, I suspect that they're actually pretty similar to what most copywriters experience, um, particularly early on when I was learning the trade, um, you know, dealing with feedback, having my creative ideas killed, seeing the copy ending up, you know, nothing like how it started, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I suppose a specific challenge for me as a medical copywriter is the fact that we work in this regulatory environment. So... Um, you, you may or may not know that the pharmaceutical industry or pharmaceutical communications industry is governed by the Medicines Australia Code, um, which means that, you know, there are certain things that we just can't say um, and that can really limit your creativity to, to some extent. And because of that, there's been there's traditionally been this perception of healthcare work as being not very creative and, and frankly, a bit crap. And, and, and I think that's probably been <laughs> a, fair, um, a, a fair comment, really. But having said that, the fact that there are these constraints kind of force you to be creative in other ways. Um, so there's been some really, really good uh, and creative healthcare work in the past few years um, that's been coming out. And I was lucky enough to go to Cannes last year for the Lions Health Festival. Um, and the work there was just, you know, an extraordinary standard. So I think to put a positive spin on that, you can, you can think of those constraints as being catalysts for creativity in themselves, um, you know, almost in the vein of the book. A Beautiful Constraint. Have you, do you know that book? No, I haven't heard of that No, book. I haven't heard of that either. Yeah. I, I have to admit I haven't actually read it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've heard a lot about it and, and the premise behind it is that, you know, creativity can be can be kind of um, catalysed by by having some kind of parameters around it. Um, so it's worth looking up. That's interesting. I'll, um, I'll dig that out of Google and I'll yeah. include a link in the show notes. Um, my only experience yeah. with those kind of regulatory constraints has been writing copy for, for dentists where there's a, you know, basically a whole list of things you just cannot promise that dental yep. work will achieve. And with yep. the first time I had to tackle one of those projects, I was like, oh, but you've just taken all the wind out of my sails here. These are all the amazing things that are <laughs> selling. That's, this will sell the dentist work. I was like, yes, but it doesn't – I can't say that fixing your teeth will improve your confidence. It's against the law. 
So yeah, it's a that's a very common reaction, and particularly it's particularly hilarious when we get you know a new designer in or something, and they're, and they're just flabbergasted by what we can't do and you know what we can't say, and yeah, but you get used to it. And I really like that point about how it forces you to be creative in other ways because it's, there's no dead end and there's no excuse to write boring, dull copy, right? No, that's right. And, and you know, you, it, it genuinely does make you think harder about, about how to um, get around some of these issues and, and still um, make, your, make your copy compelling and your, and your creations compelling. Ryan, if you can... We'd love to uh, have you take us through your creative process. You know, where do you start when you've got that white sheet of paper or the, the screen in front of you creatively? Can you step us through that? I will, but I'll just say initially that usually my creative process is much more chaotic than that. So I, I tend to kind of get my best ideas at 2am when I'm staring at the ceiling, which I think is not uncommon for, uh, you know, for all of us. Um, and some of the best ideas kind of come in that space between thinking. But when I'm at work, I look, I usually start with a pen and paper um, if I'm doing conceptual work particularly. And I don't know whether that reflects my age, but I just feel more creative with a pen um, than I do with a keyboard. Um, and to be honest, look, I don't really have a structured process, um, but as I, as I touched on before, I think trying to be, think visually as much as possible um, is a big thing for me, and, and I've really tried to incorporate that a lot more of late. Um, I don't know if you read, there was an article by Mark Duffy a couple of weeks ago uh, where I think he absolutely hit the nail on the head in saying that most great advertising involves an unexpected visual. Did you happen to see that? No, No, I didn't. Tell us. It's a really, really... You're making it sound like we never read anything. (laughs) (laughs) We don't read anything, Kate. (laughs) I read NW. That counts. Uh, it's not what it's not what I meant. <laughs> but it's well worth reading. It's it's really good. Um, and he and he gives a whole lot of examples of you know some just great ads. And I think in fact, Kate. Now I think about it. Um, not unlike the ads that you've got on your site, um, the the twenty five print ads or whatever you had on there. Yeah. A lot of a lot of them really based on that premise of of something that's a real and a really arresting visual. And because of the reason that it's something unexpected. Um, and and that you know you need to be aware of that as a copywriter because obviously he's a copywriter as well. Yeah, I must admit, I miss I miss doing ads. I miss doing ads that are, um, you know, working in collaboration with the designer and coming up with that concept and, you know, generally writing as little copy as possible often, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I really do miss doing that. Obviously, these days I'm writing a lot more long copy and websites and emails, yeah. but that con- purely conceptual work is, is a heck of a lot of fun, I, yeah. I, as I remember. Um, well, that's certainly, that's certainly the case. I totally agree. Um, but having said that, I'm kind of probably misrepresenting um the bulk of the work that we do, you know, because a lot of our work is, is long copy and and kind of the, the heavier technical stuff. So um, when I'm talking about the creative process, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of more of the conceptual end that I've been talking about. In terms of when I actually get to that bona fide writing stage, um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm a bit naughty really. I, I tend to sort of write and edit as I go, um, which pretty much goes against all the advice that you, you read about writing. Um, but that's just how I've always done it and, yeah, I don't think it's going to change now. And then just the other aspect is is what you've just touched on, Kate, um, which is the collaboration with our designers. Uh, and the way that that happens really depends on on the project. Um, there are times when we get together right at the beginning of the project um, to discuss ideas, but personally, from my perspective, I'm, I'm not really one for classic brainstorming and I tend to kind of work better in isolation 
at that stage. Um, so often what I do is come up with top line themes or lines, um, which I will then discuss with the designers and we kind of all work out which ones have legs and which ones might trigger other ideas. Um, and then we kind of go away and flesh them out further. Um, and that seems to work pretty well now that we've all worked together for several years. Yeah, I think that you've, you've kind of, I mean, you mentioned earlier, but you've hit on the main difference that I find between being in an agency to being a freelancer. It's just that ability to back this about, you know, and to brainstorm and to have somebody look at what you've done and go, is this any good? Yeah. You know, often as a freelancer, you really are in isolation and the only person that you're batting ideas about with is the client and they're not necessarily the best judge of whether what you've written is is fantastic so uh, that's why often I use an editor and proofreaders and as well as getting them to check my typos it'll be like do you think this is any good mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't have anyone else to ask other than my dog who's yeah yeah well we we kind of will comment on each other's um, and, you know, I think the longer you work with people, the more comfortable you get doing that. Um, but, you know, I'm not not precious if someone says, I think there's too many words in that or, you know, that word doesn't seem quite right and you say, yep, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I have to admit I'm quite grateful when when I do get that kind of feedback from people that when I respect their opinion as well. But just that kind of, you can get too close to your words and maybe you're already mentally moving on to something else and it's really important to keep everything tight like that. So I always love it when someone gives me that kind of um, user end experience of reading the copy. Yeah, as long as it's constructive. Oh, yeah. And if they preface (laughs) it by saying this is wonderful, it really is, but (laughs) maybe the sentence is a bit long. Yeah. Yeah. So so there we go. We we you know that was some really interesting stuff there, and I think um, you know as someone who's got such an experience, do you, do you have any final uh, tips you could share with newbie copywriters, so people who are maybe just starting out? Yes. Well, firstly, I'd, I'll reiterate what I said in an interview um, a couple of weeks ago, which is that you should speak to some experienced copywriters if you can, which is hardly original advice, um, but. To, to kind of take a slightly different slant on it, I read an article the other day about a young um, Australian entrepreneur who makes all of her employees um, cold email someone that they really admire in their industry. Um, and I, I thought that was really good advice because um, I actually did this a few years ago with Drayton Bird, who um, you may know as, or your listeners may know as a legendary UK copywriter and direct marketer. Yeah. Um, and we've pretty much stayed in pretty regular email contact ever since. Um, so I wouldn't say that he's a mentor exactly, but certainly I've learned a huge amount from his emails and his blog um, and I tend to know pretty quickly whether something that I've written meets with Drayton's approval or not. So you, you might be surprised what comes of it when you, when you make those kind of um, approaches. And the other piece of advice which I'm pretty much stealing from Drayton is to do your study. Um, and by that I don't mean formal study necessarily, but... I think I think it's true that you won't be a good copywriter just by osmosis, nor just because you're a good writer um, in the first instance. And so, I think it's really important to read um, to read the books of of the masters. So, like Drayton, David Ogilvy, of course, um, Andy Maslin, um, and then for more general inspiration, I'd, I'd recommend um, Dave Trott's books um, and anything by Nick Asbury, who I think is fantastic. Um, and I'd also mention Suzanne Pope's site, which Ad Teachings, um, which is 
which is just a, a inspirational site. I think um, she puts lots of good creative work on on there, and also her column in the Applied Arts magazine is excellent as well. So, so I'd recommend all of those resources to them as well. And then finally, I would just say be curious because I think you you just never know where inspiration is going to come from. Be curious. Oh, that can be our meme. That's a, that's a great one. And we'll uh, make sure that we seek out all those um, sites and books and we'll link to them in the show notes so that um, everyone can, can find those out. Well, look, thank you, Ryan. I think that's been illuminating. Um, I must admit that personally medical copywriting in, is something that I steer very much clear of not, not for me I'm afraid but I know many many people are very interested in that niche and the pharmaceutical area as well so thank you so much for spending time with us today you're very welcome thank you for having me and that's it we're done let's end the show with a shout out to one of our listeners and today I have picked Andrea Rowe from Your Coastal Connection and Andrea says about the podca- podcast, terrific collaboration between two copywriting dynamos. These copy queens know how to share incredibly helpful and insightful copywriting suggestions and life lessons. How great is it to think about copy even when you aren't writing copy? Take them on your next road trip while getting huffy puffy at your next marathon, sitting in on the kids' swimming sports or while you're waiting at the dentist. Thanks for serving up hop. Hot copy, Kate and Belinda. Wow, that was a mouthful. I, I <laughs> thank love, you very much, Andrea. Yes, thank you, Andrea. I love the uh, I love reviews written by copywriters. They've always got a certain flair. I love it. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. And I think she captures where everyone actually really does listen to us. It's funny. Um, so, and thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a rating or review on iTunes and Stitcher if you have the time. Your review will help others find us and we'll give you a shout out at the end of the show. You can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode. So thank you very much, Belinda. Thank you, Kate. Until next time, happy writing. Let's go. <laughs> Was that you, Ryan? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was doing something on the keyboard. Okay, no worries. Sorry. Okay. I won't touch it again.